morning and welcome. It's that time once again. The Patriot Radio News Hour live on this Tuesday, August the 8th in the year of our Lord of 2017. Good morning. I hope you're all having a fabulous day as all the kiddies, well, at least in Arizona, they're probably on their way back to school. Uh, Most of the country is either starting or getting ready to start, and I know a lot of you out there, kind of like me, are like, oh, thank you. Get my kid away from the video game and get him back into the real world. Our toll-free number, 800-951-0592, Wealth Insurance. We call it that for a reason, because that's what it is, the physical delivery of gold and silver. The website at allamericangold.com. I thought we were going to have the blog up this, today. We, we, Ramon and I are learning. So one of the things, uh, the, we, we have it. It's done. It's ready. It'll actually be up sometime tonight. We actually have to wait. Uh, I won't go into all the details as to why, but, but there is a good reason for it. So, so uh, sometime late, later this evening, the newest blog will be up at allamericangold.com and, and a lot of... Well, I guess one very interesting report came out today, the JOLT survey, which I don't know that anybody really ever paid attention to it, but but it, it, it talks about how many job openings there are. And this is a little bit of a dated number, a, a June number. Uh, and just and I don't I don't know if there was a fat finger or what, but it jumped up by like 400,000 jobs. Apparently there are a lot more waitress and waiter jobs out there than even I thought of. Uh, kind of turned the markets around. The Dow was down. It's up. Uh, gold was up. It's down. It's not down a lot. It's down uh, three bucks. Uh, silver, on the other hand, it doesn't care. Kind of what we talked about yesterday, right? Get in a silver market. Uh, silver's up today. A baker's doesn't. Yeah, that's 13 cents. I don't know if they use that term anymore, Baker's Dozen. You know, when I was a kid, I lived, you know, I grew up in a uh, this town called Jamesville, New York. And it was a little suburb uh, outside of Syracuse. And for those of you who've never been to upstate New York, upstate New York is a lot like the Midwest. A lot of farms. It, it, it can be pretty rural. And I actually worked on a farm. Uh, I started working there, I want to say I was, I don't know, 10, maybe 11. And I got put on the, the, the sweet corn stand. And we, he had the farmer, the local farmer had a corn stand on, on Seneca Turnpike. And uh, I, it was right next to Clark's Reservation. So if any of you are listening, know where Jamesville, New York is. You'll know where Clark's Reservation was. And I worked on Muller's Farm. He was the farmer. You know, he was probably uh, the, the guy that was ahead of his time because he was the farmer slash gym teacher at the elementary school. So he was already working two jobs even back then. Little did I know... Hey, that was going to become the norm uh, by the time I got to be that guy's age. And uh, so I would work the corn stand. 
And, and I told you the other day about how my wife and I, in an attempt to spend some quality time with our two teenage sons, is now every Sunday we have mandated it's family dinner and we're all going to cook the dinner together. And we figure they'll get some cooking skills and, and have we'll have fun with it. Well, I was at the store with my wife and we were shopping for the supplies. And I noticed the price of corn. And I know it's not quite, uh, you know, I guess it's the end of the corn season, but it used to be it was a baker's dozen for a dollar on the corn stand on East Seneca Turnpike uh, when I was growing up. Now you get like three. So we went from 13 to three, and the funny part was is any time the farmer would come by, if there's people at the, the stand, you know, and it would say, the sign said 12 for a dollar. But the the farmer had impressed upon me, no, Joey, you give him an extra one, right, and you give him 13, so I, you know, I'm doing what the boss said. And it never failed. Every time the boss came around, the person only had 13 ears of corn in, in, their, in their bag, and he'd be like, Joey, what are you doing? And he'd throw a couple more in there, you know, just... Just how the old times used to be. But uh, Silver's up a baker's dozen. You never know what I'm going to say. But, yeah, I actually grew up, uh, worked on a corn uh, on the corn stand, worked for the farmer. Me and my, my five other friends, we all worked there. Uh, my older brother worked there. Any of the, the local kids that wanted a job could go where I made $2 an hour. Yes, it was under the table, $2 an hour. Of course, I didn't do anything remotely close to dealing with any type of equipment. Uh, my older brother, on the other hand, he was old enough. Yeah, he had to get the shovel. He actually had to work, right? Throwing oats, baling hay, you know, stuff, cleaning out the uh, manure, all that stuff. He got to do that stuff. Uh, but but uh, we did that. And then we built a log cabin. True story. We built the log cabin every summer. We'd work on it on his on on the farm. There was a a wooded area, and, and the kids before us had built one, and we had built one. And I just look at it today. I can't even imagine how it would look like today. Seeing six, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen-year-old boys rolling down the street on their bikes with axes and hatchets. But uh, man. Life has changed, hasn't it? Paint the Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. Paint the Radio News Hour, 800-951-0592. Just a heads up, the blog is going to be about silver. Uh, I'm still working on the jobs one. Next week's blog is going to be doing a lot of homework on jobs because I want to be you know I just like anybody I want to be educated because I'm confused and when when I don't understand something I want to research it and I can't understand how the unemployment rate can be 4.3 percent we can have 153 million people in the workforce but yet we don't have wage growth and we don't have economic growth how is it possible and I and I think I know the answer Right? The answer is we've replaced higher-paying jobs with lower-paying jobs. 
uh, but I want to be able to quantify it all for you, so we're working on that. The other thing, too, is the emergence of what we call temporary jobs. This is a classification that really was almost non-existent 30 years ago. Uh, didn't really start gaining, I guess, relevance uh, until you know the late 90s into the really the millennial rolling over. And now today, the two biggest and I've been as I've been researching this just to kind of give you a precursor, the two biggest increases in the amount of jobs fall into the two categories of part-time and then fall into the, that other category, which they classify as temporary work. And temporary work uh, used to be like a temp eight when you thought of temp agency. Uh, of course, now temporary work is any type of, of 1099 employee, obviously still the temp agencies and all of that. So look for that uh, sometime uh, next week or the week after. We'll have that one out as well. But tomorrow, or well, I guess late tonight, uh, a big review of silver. When's the right time to buy silver? Uh, in, and then, of course, kind of a, an expansion of what we talked about yesterday. I actually attached several other resources to the blog. Uh, so you, not only would you get my information, but some information from some others to help you kind of put it together. Because not only do you want to look at uh, the ratio, the, the silver to gold ratio, which, by the way, now is below 77. So yesterday uh, in the morning, before I got on the air, the ratio got to almost it was 77.895 something. Uh, is now at uh, 76.75, so it's starting to go the right direction, kind of just like we said. Uh, but then also the supply and demand fundamentals, and I included a couple of different links for you to go out there and look at what's happening uh, in the silver mines in particular, uh, but the same thing starting to appear in, in the gold mines as well. So look for that tonight. Uh, and, you know, I was talking about when, when I was growing up in Jamesville and how things have changed and how my wife and I are are trying to have one day a week where we have a, a real meal together as a family. And when I grew up, you know, dinner was at 6 at my house. And it didn't matter if it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Dinner was at 6. Because uh, me and my brothers uh, were, well, let's just say we were rambunctious. We went to church on Saturday night. And Saturday night, Mass, it was at 7.30 at Old St. Mary's Church, and we, we'd eat, and then you'd go to church. And that was just how it was, and it didn't matter what you had going on. Matter of fact, though, you know what was funny is the whole community was based upon that. You know, you didn't have sports practice that that went that late. They knew, hey, you got to get home and get dinner. So do I. My wife, right? The football coach, the baseball coach, basketball coach. Hey, I got a family, too. You know, you did that today. It just doesn't happen anymore. But, you know, my dad died when, when we were young. 
Uh, my dad was 48 when he passed, and uh, he died of cancer. And now my mom is, she's 73 years old. And that's old, but not old anymore, right? 73 is not that old. But she's been having some issues lately. Like, I don't know, 90 days ago she fell. Apparently, <laughs> this is a common thing that happens, right? When you're a little baby, you're learning to walk, you fall down. As you get older, you fall more. And she hurt her leg. And it took months. You know, like it's ninety. It's been at least ninety days, and it's better, but it's still kind of you know still bothers her. But she went several weeks where she couldn't even walk. Right, she couldn't put any pressure on it, and all this stuff, and and then uh, she she just recently had a a cyst on her hairline that got infected, and all of this stuff that's been happening and and we're trying to my brothers and I are trying to get a handle on on all of these things that you need to do and it's incredible. I mean you think about and we talk about it all the time like, like Obamacare and we we talk about uh Medicaid and we talk about Medicare uh, in general, you know, in general. But now you need so much more. Right? My mom's kind of said, "Well, I got Medicare part D and then part something else, and then long-term care insurance. Now, I mean, this is this is what you have to have. And my my dad's sister, she's seventy-eight years old, and about four years ago, her memory started going, and no one really thought a lot of it at first. Fast forward to today, full-blown, you know, I whether it's dementia slash Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's slash dementia, whatever you want to call it, she don't know who anybody is. She had fallen, there's a theme, <laughs> right? she had fallen and she had broke her hip. And I bring this up because it actually ended up being a, and I hate to say it, a blessing for my cousin because she's been, she's so out of it that she was in the hospital for like over a month, but she refused to do any type of physical therapy or anything. They couldn't get her to do anything. So she essentially now is not mobile. But she she can't walk, she can't get around, which is allowed for my cousins. And by the way, so the, the hospital was not going to release her because they said, listen, she needs round-the-clock care. And you have to, you know, sign off. I don't know exactly what my, my cousin Lisa had to do, but they said, nope, we're going to take her because otherwise they were going to put her in some type of long-term care facility. And so she's now living at my cousin's house, and the only reason they can do it is because they know she can't wander off. And and we were talking the other day 
uh, my cousin and I were talking the other day, and she was just kind of because you know I'm trying to get intel, right? My my mom lives still lives in Syracuse, owns her home, and it's way too big for her. It's got an upstairs, a downstairs, a basement, and and I'm trying to make sure that my mom is prepared. And so I'm talking to Lisa about all of this. It's incredible. It really is the amount of money that can be spent. And and she's like, you know, if if she was able to still walk, I don't know what she was. I don't know what we were going to do. Because at that point, she goes, there's no way we could have provided 24 hour around the clock, you know, coverage for her. And and I just think about how expensive everything really has gotten. Yesterday we talked about the price of college, right, and, and how they, they sit there and they tell us that there's no inflation and yet we've got record debt. On every, by the way, I don't know if you saw it, credit card debt. The numbers were out today. We've done it again. You know what? A lot of things are at all-time record highs, right? The Dow's at an all-time record high. Why? Because your credit card debt is at an all-time record high. Your student loan debt are at an all-time record high. Your 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 auto loan debt all-time record high. You get the idea. Matter of fact, there's a great Ramon's got a great article on the website today talking about student loan debt. And I, and I sit there and I'm thinking about how you try to prepare, you know, and, and we do one little piece of it here. We're, we do your wealth insurance. But now as, as the inflation has just swarmed this country, you need so much more than that. Right? I mean, you really do. And you need a legal team to figure it out. I'm grateful that my cousin's ahead of me. At least I've got somebody to go to. At least I've got a resource to tap. I don't know what we'd do if we had to try to figure it out on our own. I know Arlene, Arlene turned 65. She's filling out her uh, her Medicare paperwork. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, I mean, she's got a whole binder full of stuff. It, it truly is. It's, it's incredible what's happened in here. And, and then you start thinking about how does this all end? And, and we realized that the the reason we had the last financial crisis was, was because people couldn't pay their debts. And now we're sitting here with all of these debts at all-time record highs, and they're trying to say that these jobs are somehow going to be able to pay for it. But all of us know, you're a waiter or a waitress, you're not paying for it. And no, don't get me wrong. That's a, listen, that's a, I can't do that job. That's a hard job. It is. That's a, that's a hard job. Anybody who knows people that, that are in that industry will tell you, that's a hard job. You can do okay. I'm not, you know, it's not like you, you know, you're going to be destitute. But if you're not making big money. And then on the, if you go out to the website, I encourage you to do it. Find that student loan debt article, and you'll see what it is that I'm talking about. Because here was here was a category of debt that did not exist when I was growing up. Nobody talked about that. 
you know, my family, and I think we were typical of that generation. We're probably, my childhood was probably, for most people, the last of it. Where when you had a birthday, your friends didn't come over for your birthday. Your cousins came over, your aunts and uncles came over, your grandparents came over. I mean, that's who you had your birthday with. During the holidays, right, everybody's family, you you spent it with your family. And I mean not just, you know, your kids and your spouse. You spent it with grandma and grandpa and the cousins and the aunts and the uncle. And my family was a family of great debaters. At the end of... Uh, after the after dinner, after the dessert, the coffee would come out. The ashtrays would come out because back then, you know, pretty much everybody but my, for whatever reason, everybody but my parents smoked. And the cards, right, the card games would start, and they would start whatever the topic of the like. I could just see it now. The stuff that they talked about then and what they'd be talking about today. And this would probably be one of them. We're going to talk about that next. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, here's Ryan Haidt. Shortly after Trump became president, he issued Executive Order Number 13780, entitled Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States. But judicial activism initially prevented it from going into effect. In June, a long-awaited ruling by the Supreme Court was a welcome comeuppance to the activist judges who had blocked the so-called travel ban against immigration by potential terrorists. The Supreme Court ruling never used the phrase travel ban because Trump merely suspended travel for 90 days. As Trump explained while campaigning, a suspension makes sense until our country's representatives can figure out what's going on with radical Muslims who commit terrorist attacks against innocent citizens. This unanimous court decision authorizes President Trump to suspend travel from the six countries associated with terrorism by any foreign nationals who lack any bona fide relationship with a person or entity in the United States. The bona fide relationship must be significant, the court explained. For individuals, a close familial relationship is required, they emphasized. A foreign national who wishes to enter the United States to live with or visit a family member like someone's wife or mother-in-law would qualify, but weaker connections should not. Three of the justices wrote separately to say that Trump should have been given even more leeway to exclude dangerous aliens. This group included recently confirmed Justice Neil Gorsuch, who joined a strong opinion written by Justice Clarence Thomas in favor of Trump. By ruling for Trump, the Supreme Court may have really been averting a constitutional crisis for itself. The Constitution does not give the federal judiciary the power to enforce any of its rulings. Instead, federal courts depend entirely on the goodwill of the executive branch to implement court decisions. This inherent check and balance on overreaching by federal courts may help explain why the Supreme Court reversed the lower courts and gave Trump a much-deserved win. Even liberal justices on the Supreme Court agreed to issue a ruling for President Trump, which he is willing to enforce.
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped, or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never-elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. He was backwards, backwards, use words. My grandfather, he was he was the expert. He was the, the ringleader of the great debate. It had, in every one of these functions, and it didn't matter if it was a birthday, 4th of July, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, whatever it was, the great debate was going to start. And all the adults would gather around the table and and there would be the coffee and the ashtrays and 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 whatever would be the topic. Like I could just see it today, right? Trump, right of course, North Korea and and then debt and Obamacare and all of these things. They'd all be free games. And my grandfather was the best at it because he would, he would be the one that would, you know, start the fireworks. And probably why I'm so boisterous on the radio because this is how I learned how to communicate growing up. So you 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 picture you know twenty adult Italians all getting fired up and you start putting coffee in them. Look out! And he would judge the room. And whatever side he thought was the minority, that was the side he took. (laughs) And then as everybody started roaring and talking over one another, right? you would see my grandfather, and he'd have a cigarette in one hand, his coffee in the other, and he'd just be smiling. Because his work was now complete, right? He's got everybody yelling at everybody, and it just tickled him to no end. But you know what was different then? They didn't have the overhang of debt like we do. My grandfather, after the World War, World War II, he worked for the post office. Great job. You know, and that was the old school way. There was no email back then. There was no computer. He walked that route every day. My grandmother stayed at home and raised the family. They owned their home. They had a vacation, you know, condo, apartment, whatever you want to call it, in Florida, just like everybody else from Syracuse. And so did all of my relatives. Some of them worked at Cross Hines, right? For those of you that don't know, they they built electronic wiring. That Carrier was a huge employer where I grew up. Huge. They're the same ones that did close down that Indiana plant, right? Matter of fact, in New York, the Carrier Dome still named after them. And then I saw this, I saw this 
chart on the student loan debt. And I like to tell the story about how when Ben Bernanke went to Harvard, it only cost four grand. By the way, Harvard today, yeah, close to 70 grand, just under. But they have this chart, and they're smart enough to only go back to 2004 on this chart. Right, because if you went back like another 10 years, there'd be nothing there. And it breaks down the amount of student loan debt, and they break it down by age. In 2004, there wasn't even 400 billion, like I say 400 billion, like it's a small number, but it was, you know, 350, 375 billion. You can't even really see the line, the color for 60-plus, right? In other words, how many people in 04 were 60 years or older and had student loan debt? You go over to the 2016, right, and there it is, right? You can see it plain as day. 50 to 59 in 04, there was, it was there, but it was pretty small. Now it's it's a big chunk. 40 to 49, a big chunk. Right? And, and under 40, which comprised the vast majority of the student loan debt in the past, it's still the majority. So, you know, less than 40 still the majority, but now it's only about mm, about 60%. Here's what else that's changed. About a trillion dollars in the last, well, this is from 04 to 2016. From 04 to 2016, during that 12 years, student loan debt went up $1 trillion. From less than $400 billion to over $1.3 trillion. And now, this is a year old. Right? We already know it's over $1.4 now and growing. And you think about the, the, the factors that they said. This is a New York Federal Reserve data point. The key factors, according to the Federal Reserve, the key factors to the reason why student loan debt is exploding. More students are taking out loans. Okay, that was on the list. Hey, we got more kids going to college. The loans are for larger amounts. <laughs> they should probably put it in there, but there's no inflation right after that one just to make people mad. And the speed at which the borrowers are able to repay their debts has slowed. And you start to really get a very good picture of what is truly real in this economy and what truly isn't. The information was contained in a Fed press briefing in April that had focused on household borrowing and student debt. In other words, hey, household borrowing, how's the average American doing? Even though we really don't care. 
Let's take a look, shall we? College graduates with student loans leave school with a minimum of $34,000 of debt. That has risen 70% in 10 years. That would be like, hey, the average pace of inflation for this is 7% a year. That's about right. 5% of borrowers owed more than a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> right five percent of borrowers owed more than a hundred thousand and here's here's the biggest problem that's one of the biggest growing segments and then they wonder why it is that the economy can't grow Patriot radio news hour we'll be back after the break And that number keeps going up every year. Forget about the hundred grand, but those kids are nuts. How are you ever going to pay it back? Especially when the vast majority of jobs are waiters and waitresses. And then you think about this one now. 37% of families say that they will spend over $1,000 per child on school and after-school activity fees this academic year. So forget college. These are parents with kids aged the range 5 to 18. Right, you've heard me talk about this. Just for both of my two kids to play football for the school. But that cost me and my wife $1,000. But And here's the bad part. They both play basketball, right? Right, I'm figuring out, there you go, I'm already at $1,000 a kid, and I haven't even taken school pictures. I haven't spent any money for their meals while they eat at school. That doesn't include any other type of school fees, all the school supplies school uniforms, which, by the way, what a racket. Holy cow. I should... Things that I never want to do again. Go to the uniform store for my kids' uniforms with my wife, because I did that last weekend. I, I don't know how people do it. I mean, that was hundreds of dollars. Right then, my wife. Oh, they need mask shoes, right? Gotta have mask shoes. They said thirty-seven percent of families will spend more than a thousand dollars per year. They broke it down: daycare and pre-kindergarten, biggest expense, school pictures, followed by meal programs followed by mandatory school fees. By the time you get to high school, mandatory school fees is now the single biggest expense. you got to pay for everything. Right? Oh, wait, wait, your kid wants to be in the play? Right? Your kid wants to be on the dance team, the cheer team, the football team, the, doesn't matter, any type of team, the chess club? 
student government, you got to pay. Followed by meal programs and pictures. I don't even want to know. I don't. Are pictures expensive? They must be because they're in here. They're they're in the top three of every single category. Now you start to realize when I said the other day, you know who the true heroes are. Those forty-four million people working multiple jobs because this is why they have to do it. And then they sit there and tell us how great everything is. Look at that and. I want it to be. You want it to be. We all want it to be. But at the end of the day, more and more people are running out of check. You know, whether it's auto loans. Look at credit card debt. Credit card debt doesn't go to all-time record highs because people feel good. That's what they like to say. Oh, yeah, people are, they feel confident. So they're racking up the credit card debt. Who thinks that way? They rack up the credit card debt because they're like, oh, uh, uh, let's put it on the card. I don't know how we're going to pay that one. And then you start to think about all of these, all of these things that parents have to have to pay for that my grandparents never thought of. I mean, when my kids were going to elementary and junior high school, they had to bring their own toilet paper. Yeah, I'm not making that up. They had to bring paper towels. They had to bring baby wipes. Yeah, every kid did. Sports fees have gotten to be ridiculous. I mean, my parents were got upset when the cost of Little League went from $10 to 12 Hey, my kid wants to play football. $500. My, you know what? I think $500 cheap. Last year, we had a crazy coach. We had to get rid of him because we had to pay $980. Thank God I only had one son there at the time. And you start really kind of figuring out how all of these things have changed. And then you start understanding when they go and they actually look into the well-being of the average American household. They don't talk about that on the news. No, they like to talk about the more general stuff. They like to talk about, well, when you include the CEO pays and all that to skew the number, everybody feels better. They want to tell you about how business needs even more tax. We talk about the Trump tax cut. Listen, somebody's got to pay for something. Right? The Federal Reserve already gives. It's just corporate welfare. At the expense of the rest of us. The latest numbers are in. It's a new record in U.S. history. This was a report that came out yesterday, also by, you guessed it, the Federal Reserve. Americans had... $1.021 $1.021 trillion in revolving credit debt in 2017, beating the previous record of April 2008. So we've now surpassed the last credit crisis. Oh, and on top of the 
that happening, student loan debt's risen by almost a trillion dollars during that same period. Yeah, it's going to work out just fine, though. of what Alan Greenspan said last week. The bubbles in the debt market, he said. Uh, and I said, you know, I don't know what market it's in. The debt market, uh, the bond market, the stock market. Either way, one goes, they both go. And he's probably right, right? Now, you know, he's smarter than me, and he's right. Because I sit here and I just started thinking about how is it Credit card debt can be at all-time record highs, right? We took out the record from 08, right? That was when everything went to you-know-what. Then you think about student loan debt has risen by 63% in those nine years. (laughs) So now you're piling that debt on. Auto loan debt also at an all-time record high. Health care premiums, rents, mortgages, they're all at all-time record highs. Income? Uh-uh. Nope. It's not. And even if you did reasonably well, you're behind. This record should serve as a wake-up call to Americans to focus on their credit card debt, said Matt Schultz, a senior industry analyst. Even if you feel your debt is manageable right now, know that you could be one unexpected emergency away from real trouble. And here's the thing, and all that sounds wonderful, but the realities are these people are already there, Matt. They say more than 171 million consumers. The highest number, by the way, since 2005. Right, That really tells you when all of that craziness started. When 162 million people had access to credit cards. Now we're up to 171 million. And you think about why all of these people down, really, it's everywhere, right? They know, eh. we're at record highs, but yeah, it doesn't feel so great and all of that stuff. This is why. People are broken. It's, re- it's reflected right here. I see it every day. Every day with our customers. It's more and more people are falling onto the wrong side of the fence probably more important now than ever to make sure you take the time to put it away because this is going back this is like oh one again right before it all really started to unwind i've got a a you know what i'm gonna i got a smorgasbord of stuff we've got uh dimes we've still got over 100 rolls of dimes silver dimes 65 bucks it's an even better buy today than it was yesterday. I mean, gold or silver is up now another fifteen cents at sixteen forty. I've got ten, maybe twelve five dollar liberties at three thirty. I'm going to leave that price there at three thirty. Uh, gold, by the way, gold's come. Yeah, gold's now down two bucks, twelve hundred fifty six. So gold's getting uh, coming 
right back to even here. So I've got $5 Liberty Gold Pieces, three thirty, which is it's a ridiculously dumb price. That's the best I can say it. Same thing with the dimes. Dimes at 65 bucks. 800-951-0592. Take the time. Put it away. We'll talk again tomorrow.